after you've put your song book away this morning, get your Bible back out and go to where our scripture reading came from this morning to Acts, the 12th chapter. Please make your way and kind of just park yourself there in Acts chapter 12. For those of you who are members of the Monte Vista Church family, then you know that this past week in our Bible reading, we read this chapter together. We read Acts chapter 12, and as you did that, one of the things that I hope you noticed is there's a lot going on in this chapter. There is a lot going on in Acts chapter 12. In fact, there may be more going on in this short chapter than any other chapter found in the book of Acts. I mean, in this chapter, there is murder, and there is imprisonment, and prayer, and a miracle, and an angel, and even the death of a king. I mean, this is a loaded, loaded chapter found in the book of Acts. And if you don't mind, let's begin our monthly study from this book by considering carefully the context. Will you do that with me this morning? Will you carefully consider with me the context of Acts chapter 12? Notice how this chapter, Acts 12, begins. Well, it begins with persecution. It begins with persecution of the church. It begins with the church being persecuted by King Herod. Brothers and sisters, the King Herod that is mentioned in this chapter is not the same King Herod who tried to kill Jesus as a baby. That was Herod the Great. This is also not the Herod that Jesus met with not long before he was crucified for the sins of the world. No, that was Herod Antipas. This is not Herod Antipas. And this is not Herod the Great. Instead, this is Herod Agrippa. This is Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I was the grandson of the Herod who tried to kill Jesus' baby. He was the grandson of Herod the Great, and unlike his grandfather, who the Jews could not stand, the Jews liked him. The Jews really liked Herod Agrippa. They loved him. They had a high level of affection for him. In fact, their affection for him was actually tied to an event that occurred a few years earlier or prior to Acts chapter 12. You see, in A.D. 40, in A.D. 40, about seven years after the death of Jesus, the Roman emperor Caligula, Caligula tried to set up an image of himself in the temple. He actually tried to set up an idol in the house of God. He felt that the Jews needed to have an image that was dedicated to the Caesar in their house of worship, just like everybody else and the Jews. They were very resistant towards that. They were very resistant towards this demand of Caligula, so much so that they were ready to fight about it. They were ready to go to the battlefield over this issue. They were ready to die in war against the Roman Empire in an effort to stop an idol from being put in the temple. But the man who convinced Caligula to back down and leave the Jews alone was this guy right here. It was Caligula's friend, Herod Agrippa. 
Herod Agrippa. Because of Herod's diplomacy, hundreds of Jews did not have to die on the battlefield and the temple of God was not defiled. Herod was a ruler over the Jews who constantly looked out for them. He always tried to make them happy. He always tried to please them and make sure they were satisfied and understanding that is critically important to understanding what you find in verse number two of Acts chapter 12. Look back at verse number two. Do you see verse number two? Notice how verse number two tells us that Herod was so zealous and so committed to making the Jews happy at this time that he did two horrible things. First, he killed the apostle James, and secondly, he locked up the apostle Peter. He killed the apostle James, and he locked up the apostle Peter. In the case of the apostle James, his death is the only occasion in the Bible where we can read about an apostle dying. The only occasion, while in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we can read about Paul telling us that he knew his death was imminent. We don't actually read about Paul dying in the Bible. James, not the brother of Jesus, but the brother of the apostle John, he's the only apostle whose death we can actually read about in the Bible. And while Peter was in prison, also waiting to be executed, verse number five tells us that the church was praying for him. The church was praying for the apostle Peter. In fact, the text specifically says that the church was praying fervently for the apostle Peter. The word fervently or earnestly that is used there in that verse is actually the same word that is used to describe how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you remember, the Bible says that he prayed fervently to God. He prayed fervently to his heavenly father. He prayed so fervently to his heavenly father that, that his sweat became like what? Drops of blood. That's how the church was praying. The church was praying fervently for the apostle Peter, and maybe they were praying fervently that he would be released. Maybe they were praying fervently that he would not lose his faith as he was about to die for the cause of the gospel. Maybe they were praying fervently that what happened to James would not also happen to him. We're not told exactly what they were praying fervently about. But what we do know, we do know God responded. We do know that God heard their prayer and he acted in a very powerful way. In verse number seven, the Bible says that God sent an angel into that jail. And that angel stood next to the apostle Peter and he woke up Peter from a deep sleep that he was in. And he told him to put on his cloak and put on his sandals and he led him right out of the jail cell. He led him right out of the prison. An angel of God miraculously delivered the apostle Peter from the hand of Herod. And when Peter arrived at the house of Mary, who was the mother of John Mark, and a lot of Christians were at her house gathered for prayer, the scripture says that a servant girl named Rhoda heard Peter knocking at the door. And when she realized it was Peter outside the gate, she was so excited about that that she runs back into the house to tell everybody. And Peter's still outside just like this. This is actually something funny that Luke is putting in the book of Acts. It reminds me of something that happened in our family a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, we believe went to the store somewhere and we came back home. 
and I unlocked the door, went inside the house, sat on the, on the sofa, started watching TV. Shawn Michael comes in. He sits on the sofa. He's watching TV with me. I hear Janice in the kitchen banging on some pots and some pans, I believe. And then I heard the doorbell ring. Heard the doorbell ring, heard someone knocking on the door, and I'm thinking at first that it's a solicitor of some kind, maybe somebody trying to, to sell uh, some pest control or they want to promote some lawn care. I don't have time for that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't like dealing with people like that, but the doorbell wouldn't stop ringing. And so I finally got annoyed, and I got up, and I answered the door, and I looked down, and it was Faith. <laughs> Faith says, you guys are in such a hurry to get in the house, you, you, you slammed the door right in my face. That's what Rhoda, that's what Rhoda did to Peter. Rhoda left Peter outside the gate, and when she told the brethren he was out there, they didn't believe her. They thought she was crazy. They thought she was nuts. In fact, they thought the chances were higher of her seeing an angel instead of seeing the apostle Peter. They seemed to be shocked that God answered their prayer in such a positive way. And so go back to the text. Let's pick up to where Brother Lance left off this morning. Verse number 18, after Peter is miraculously delivered from the prison by an angel of God, and he meets up with the brethren again, it says in verse number 18, now when the day came, when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. And these guards were killed over this because they lost the apostle Peter. And Herod is so embarrassed by this that the Bible says he went down from Judea to Caesarea. He's like, I gotta get out of here, this is embarrassing. He goes from Judea to Samaria and was spending time there. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a god, the voice of a god and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he was eaten by worms and he died. I want you to notice the reverse of fortunes. Do you see that? Notice the reverse of circumstances. Remember how this chapter began. Remember this chapter began with King Herod killing the apostle James and preparing to kill the apostle Peter. But by the end of the chapter, he's the one who's killed. He wants to kill Peter, but Peter's alive and Peter is free. But Herod is the one who is killed. He is killed by God. He is struck down dead by God. And why is he struck down dead by God? Well, because of pride. Because of arrogance, because he allowed the people to glorify him as a God. And he knew, he knew he wasn't a God. Verse 20 says that on, that on a day when the people of Tyre and Sidon were there worshiping him and honoring him because he has supplied them with food, 
he failed to give glory to the real supplier of food. He failed to stop these people from praising him and honoring him as a God. He actually liked what these people were doing, but God didn't like it. God didn't like what was going on. God had a big problem with this. He had a problem with Herod. He had taken all he was going to take from him and the persecution he had perpetrated against his people. You see, while God used an angel to deliver Peter from prison, he used an angel to bring judgment on Herod. He used an angel to strike Herod with intestinal worms that eventually killed him. As I said, as I said, there's a lot. There's a lot going on in this chapter. And I guess the question we need to ask right now is what can we learn from it? Why is this chapter here? How can a chapter like this help us and our service to the Lord today? Well, I want to ask you to consider with me three, three powerful and practical lessons that I think we can learn from this very interesting chapter that is found in the book of Acts. And the first lesson is this. One lesson we can learn from Acts chapter 12 is, number one, we can learn that God's people, God's people are not exempt from suffering. God's people are not exempt from suffering. Christians are not exempt from suffering. Even apostles, even apostles who were Christians 2,000 years ago, they were not exempt from suffering. James, James suffers in this chapter. James is killed in this chapter. He has his head cut off in this chapter. And the apostle Peter, well, Peter's thrown in prison. Peter is guarded by squads of soldiers as though he's the biggest serial killer in all of Judea. Both of the apostles face extreme levels of persecution from the government, but only one of them, listen carefully, only one was delivered. Only one was saved from death. Only one avoided being executed by Herod, and it wasn't James. It wasn't the brother of John. It wasn't the son of Zebedee. Instead, it was Peter. Peter was delivered from the wrath of Herod, but James was put to death. And if I'm Zebedee, if I'm James's father, if I'm John, if I'm his brother, if I'm his cousin, if I'm his friend, his uncle, his aunt, his mother, I want to know why. Why? Why my son? Why my brother? Why was James allowed to die but not Peter? What's make, what makes Peter so special? What, what, what makes Peter so much better than James? I mean, like Peter, James was also on the Mount of Transfiguration. Like Peter, James was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like Peter, James was with Jesus when he raised, raised that little girl from the dead. Like Peter, James was in the inner, inner circle of Jesus. Why was he allowed to die? But Peter was allowed to be delivered. You ever asked questions like that before? You ever asked questions about God's will? 
and God's plan and God's purposes. You ever ask questions like, well, why can't we have children? But all the other couples in the church, they, they can have children. Why can I find a spouse? But everybody else seems to be getting married. Why is my health not improving? But everybody else around me seems to be healthy. Why did I have to get laid off from my job? Why did my child have to die? Why did my spouse have to die? Why did my brother have to die? Why did my friend who serves the Lord faithfully have to lose their life? God allowed James to be killed. And he saved Peter. And he doesn't tell us in the Bible why he decided for it to be that way. He, he doesn't tell us the purposes of his will. He doesn't tell us why he allowed one to die and the other to live. The best lesson we can learn from this, brothers and sisters, is sometimes as Christians, we're going to suffer. Sometimes we're going to face problems. We're going to face pains. We're going to face trials and tribulations. Some of us are going to face more problems and pains and trials and tribulations than others. Some of us may even die as a result of these things. But through it all, no matter what, no matter how God decides to respond to our prayers, no matter what God's will is, no matter what God decides to do about our situation or the situation of the person that we love, we got to always make sure we trust God. We got to always trust God. We got to always trust that God knows what is best. He sees things that we cannot see. He knows things that we do not know. And whatever he decides to allow to happen or not to happen, it's always right. It's always right. I'm going to my Bible to Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, and I have these verses marked in my Bible because they help me so often in my life. In Proverbs chapter 3 and in verse number 5, Proverbs 3 and verse number 5, the wise man Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. My dear friends, as we live in a world right now that is spiraling out of control, as we live in a world that is fallen and broken and sinful and full of all kinds of suffering and problems, we got to always be mindful of those verses. We got to always keep those verses in the forefront of our minds. We got to always remember that our God, our God is worthy of our of our complete confidence. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our faith. Just because life isn't always going the way we desire, just because life sometimes has some has some stumbling blocks and some problems we got to face. That doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. That doesn't mean that God is asleep on the job. That doesn't mean that God isn't aware of what's going on. That doesn't mean that God isn't active and working and still doing what he determines to do to accomplish his will. God's people are going to suffer. We're going to suffer at times at this life, and sometimes we're not going to understand why. We are not exempt from, from suffering. We're not exempt from problems and pains. In fact, one of the reasons why we're not exempt from these things is because we're at war. We're at war right now. We're at war with the devil. We're at war with Satan. We're at war with Satan because, well, because God is at war with Satan. 
God is at war with Satan. I mean, that's really what's going on in Acts 12. Did you notice that when you read the chapter? Do you see how in that chapter, Herod is a worker of Satan? And the Jews who oppose the gospel, they're workers of Satan. And the apostle James, he's a worker of God. And Peter is a worker of God. And the church that meets in Mary's house, they are workers of God. Do you see how all this action, all this action in Acts 12 is an example of spiritual warfare taking place in the, in the first century? That's what's going on in Acts 12. Acts 12 is a chapter about spiritual warfare taking place. In fact, not only was spiritual warfare taking place in the first century in the time of the book of Acts, it's also taking place today. It's also taking place in our world today, in our country, in our state, in our city. Will you go in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6, please? I'm going to Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to listen to what the Apostle Paul has to say to us in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse number 10, in verse number 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. What's Paul talking about there? In those verses, well, in those verses, Paul, Paul's talking about a war. He's talking about a war going on. He's not talking about a war going on in the Middle East right now. He's not talking about a war going on between Russia and, and the Ukraine. Instead, in this chapter, the Apostle Paul is talking about a war that's taking place between God and the devil. He says that God and the devil are currently involved in spiritual warfare. He says that right now there's a war taking place between good and evil, between light and darkness, between the Lord and his army and the spiritual forces of wickedness. That is the reality of life as I speak to you right here and right now. The question is, do we believe that? Do we really believe that? Do we really understand that? Do we really understand what's going on when we get up every single day? I submit that if we really believe and understand what the Apostle Paul is saying in those verses, then you know what we're going to do? We're going to arm ourselves as Christians to fight in this spiritual battle every single day. We're going to arm ourselves as Christians to fight with God in his army every single day. We're going to make sure that we don't leave our homes without clothing ourselves in the full armor of God. We're not going to be shocked when we have to experience persecution for the cause of Christ. We're not going to act as though that, that the sky is falling and, and it's all over for us because we're currently living in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile to the cause of the gospel. Instead of living like that and thinking like that, we're going to live our lives understanding that being persecuted for the cause of the gospel, that's just part of being engaged in spiritual warfare with the devil. That just comes with the territory. 
of being engaged in a spiritual battle against a very, very strong opponent. You see, as Christians, as disciples, listen carefully, we shouldn't be dodging persecution. We shouldn't be running from persecution. We shouldn't be living our lives timid and afraid because we believe the good old days are fleeting. And now we may actually have to start suffering for the cause of the gospel. No, the Bible says we should have, start, we should have started expecting persecution a long time ago. We've had it too good in this country. It's time to start going through some tough times for the Lord. And we should have expected that to happen to us a long time ago. We should have understood a long time ago that according to the Bible, if we really believe the Bible, then we're going to believe the part where it says there's those who suffer for Christ and are persecuted. The Lord promised them that that was the way it was going to be. We should be more worried if we're not suffering for the cause of Christ. And so look in your Bible at first Peter. If you don't believe me, at least believe the Bible in first Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four and verse number 12, the Bible says in first Peter four and verse 12, as Peter is writing to Christians who were suffering in the first century, he says, beloved. Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. See, so often we're surprised. We're surprised. Oh, my goodness. People are going against Christianity. Oh, my goodness. People are standing against the gospel. Oh, my goodness. People are mocking us. Peter says, what's wrong with you? Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing. As though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share with the sufferings of Christ, we're supposed to share in the sufferings of Christ. Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You're not cursed. You're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but as to glorify God in this name. The Bible says we should expect persecution if we stand for the righteousness of the gospel. Peter says that, but Peter doesn't just say that. You know who said it first? Jesus did. Look at John 15, please. I'm going to John 15. And while Jesus in the immediate context here is speaking to the apostles, the principle certainly applies to us. It applies to us today. And John 15 and verse 18, our Lord said this, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world. But I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, that Jesus said, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Jesus says we shouldn't be shocked. Shouldn't be shocked. If we got to face persecution. You shouldn't be shocked if we got to go through rough times in this spiritual battle. We shouldn't run from it. We shouldn't hide from it. We shouldn't duck and dodge from it. Instead, we should understand that the Lord promised, the Lord promised that it was going to happen to us. In fact, when it does happen to us, and it will happen to us if it hasn't yet, instead of being surprised or afraid, or timid, or wallowing in pity and despair, what we need to do 
is we need to pray. We need to pray just like the Christians we read about in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5. We need to pray fervently to the Lord. We need to pray fervently for the courage and the strength to endure for the Lord. We need to pray fervently, thanking God that he's considered us worthy to suffer shame for his name. We need to pray fervently for God to give us boldness and zeal to keep doing his will, no matter what obstacles the devil tries to put in front of us. Instead of running and dodging and hiding, when the persecution begins to intensify against us in this country, we need to stand firm together and we need to pray. We need to pray hard. We need to pray fervently and keep working and keep fighting in the army of God. And the reason why we need to do that is because in Acts 12, we learn that God's gospel will not be stopped. It will not be stopped. Remember how this chapter began. Do you remember how this chapter began? It began with Satan, the evil one, trying to use Herod to stop the progress of the gospel. Satan uses Herod to kill the apostle James. And he locked up the apostle Peter. But by the end of the chapter, Peter is freed. Herod is dead. And the gospel continues to spread like wildfire. Look at the text with me again. Go back to Acts 12 one more time, please. Acts chapter 12. Let's pick up with the reading in verse number 24. After the Bible tells us that an angel struck Herod with intestinal worms that killed him. It says in verse 24, but the word of the Lord. This is a contrast to what happened with Herod. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark, chapter 13, verse 1. Verse 1, now there were Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Notice how, notice how, while at the beginning of this chapter, things look very bad and very bleak for the cause of the gospel. By the end of the chapter, God has won. God has won and Satan has lost. God's workers have prevailed and Satan's workers have experienced judgment. God's cause has continued to advance and Satan's cause has suffered some terrible blows. This situation has totally reversed by the end of this chapter. And that, my friends, is what the chapter is all about. That's what the chapter is all about. This chapter here, Acts 12, this chapter, Acts 12, is not about Herod. And it's not about intestinal worms or even the circumstances of James or Peter or the church that was meeting in Mary's house. While those things are certainly mentioned in the chapter, please remember that above anything else, this chapter, Acts 12, is a chapter about God. It is about God and his gospel. 
It is about God and his kingdom. It is about no matter what people and what methods the devil try to use, tries to use to stop the progress of the gospel, he can't do it. It didn't even matter if an apostle died. It didn't even matter if an apostle got his head cut off. The kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ was going to continue to do what God wanted it to do. That was true 2,000 years ago. And brothers and sisters, that's still true today. That's still true today. And it's always going to be true. It doesn't matter what laws that are hostile to our faith that may be enforced in the future. It doesn't matter if more and more people in our society and culture become atheist and agnostic. It doesn't matter who wins the next 20 or 30 presidential elections or what judges get appointed to the Supreme Court or who controls the media or Twitter or other forms of social media, what's even taught in our schools. It doesn't even matter if we lose our protected right to worship God and spread the gospel or if America falls completely in the next few decades. No matter what goes on in our country or around the world, Acts 12 teaches us that the gospel will always advance. The gospel doesn't need America to advance. The gospel's always been advancing for the last 2,000 years, and it will continue to do so until the Lord comes back. It will never be silenced. It will never be stopped. It will never be destroyed. It will never fail. You know why? Because God cannot fail. God cannot lose. God's will can never be stopped, even though there are a lot of casualties in this spiritual battle at, time, at times. And even though there's a lot of suffering and there's a lot of bad things happening to us that sometimes we just don't fully understand, Acts 12 teaches us that God is always gonna come out on top. He's always gonna be victorious. His army will always ultimately prevail. We just gotta make sure we stay in his army. We just gotta make sure we stay on the right side of this spiritual battle. We gotta make sure that we don't allow the sufferings and the trials of, of our society be, to become tools the devil uses to cause us to quit. We got to make sure that we don't allow the current circumstances and all this garbage the media is feeding us right now to cause us to believe that the devil is winning and he's going to win. No, brothers and sisters, the devil's not going to win. Don't fall for that. That's what you call fake news. That's fake news. The devil will not win. The devil cannot win. He cannot defeat God. And he cannot defeat his army. And if you currently find yourself in the wrong army, you know what it's time to do? It's time to wise up. It's time to get into the right army. It's time to get on the winning side of this spiritual battle. And maybe for you that means you need to obey the gospel for the first time. Maybe that means you need to believe in Jesus. Have faith in him as the Lord and Savior and repent of your sins and confess his name and obey his commandments to be baptized so he can add you to his kingdom. Or maybe you're someone here and you've been baptized for the remission of your sins, but you've been fighting on the losing side. 
for the last few days, few weeks, few months, few years. It's time for you to repent and enlist yourself again. Let the Lord enlist you again in his army because his army is going to prevail ultimately. And so if there's anyone here who needs to become part of the kingdom of God and the army of Jesus, you have this opportunity right now.